Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. And I'm Matthew. And this week, we have a special guest, friend of the podcast, Drew. You might remember that he was on our mega episode about baseball movies. And there were a few movies on that episode that weren't really his favorite. So we thought we'd invite him back to talk about two movies he really, really likes. Hello, hello. Matt and Drew are going to focus on one movie, and I'm going to take the lead on a second movie later, and that movie's going to be Die Hard. But they're going to start us off today with a discussion of Big Trouble in Little China. All right. So um, Big Trouble in Little China came out in 1986 and stars Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall. It was directed by a really great director uh, named John Carpenter, who um, got really got his big start with a little movie that was called Halloween in 1978, one of the, probably one of, probably my favorites, kind of slasher movies of that time. Um, and he then went on to do a lot of very interesting kind of psychological horror movies called uh, The Fog, The Thing. He did a great movie called They Live, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, and Keith David. Yes, can't forget <laughs> Keith David. Another one, uh, I like In the Mouth of Madness. Never seen it. That's a that's a pretty good one, starring Sam Neill. Um, he plays a book writer and then goes crazy. Um, pretty interesting. And uh, so his kind of genre has uh, always been kind of suspenseful. Some some there is always kind of some gore in some of his movies. The thing, especially. I mean I Definitely can't the thing. I have a hard time watching that movie. Um just because of the, the, the gore in that movie. And then he kind of in nineteen eighty six he put out this movie, Big Trouble in Little China, which I think is one of its funniest movies. It's got some definite comedic elements. Oh definitely, yeah. It's I would say his first foray into comedy. Yes. Yeah. Before he did, was it um, the invis- his like take on Invisible Man with Chevy Chase? Just because it has Chevy Chase doesn't mean it's comedy. That is true. <laughs> many times that man is not funny. <laughs> true. <laughs> but um, the movie takes place in San Francisco, specifically Chinatown in San Francisco. That is the little China in the ti- in the title. When the movie opens you see a man named Egg Shen who is meeting with a lawyer to talk about the events that happen in this movie. And um, the lawyer is like, I guess that you expect me to believe in things like black magic and sorcery and everything. He's like, oh, of course. And he's like, well, how can I believe in it? And then he pulls up his hands and lightning shoots in between them with like this crazed look on his face. And he's like, you know, Jack Burton's a hero. You know, you really need to think of Jack Burton as a hero. And then we meet Jack, and... Hold on. Have you read about why that scene's in the movie? That scene's in the movie because when they were done filming the movie, they realized that Jack Burton, the whole time, who's supposed to be the star of the movie... um, Is a big buffoon? uh, He plays off like he's, like, the sidekick. Yeah. yeah, the studio execs didn't think anyone would realize that he's the hero. Right. So they forced them to film this scene, which is a great scene, though. I love this scene. Yeah. The, the lawyer is uh, 
from X Files. From right? X Files, yeah. he plays Deep Throat in X Files yeah. first season. I thought I recognized him. And he's also he's a great character actor. He's he's been in a lot of different things. He's played like he, I think he played like five different characters on Star Trek: The Next mm. Generation. It's it's crazy. <laughs> and of course, I I give him all this praise, and I don't know his name. Then we meet Jack and his friend Wang, who um, they're playing. You know, they're gambling, and they go to pick up Wang's future wife at an airport, who then gets kidnapped, and then our adventure begins, where we have. Again, sorcery, Chinese black magic, martial art, martial you know, arts. martial arts, you know, up the wazoo. It's this very horrific, cheap, horrific monsters that pop out from yes. time to time. Yeah, I think my I can't decide. Do I like the sewer monster or the monster that floats around covered in eyes? You like the Harry and the Hendersons monster the best. The the, the, the like half ape, half bear, yeah. Half, I don't know. He's kind of like orangutan colored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one with the eyes is great. Well, the cool thing. Th- well, we'll get to the we'll get to <laughs> the one with the eyes in a moment. I, I really love this movie. I saw this movie. Um, I probably on TV because I'd never saw it in the theater. We certainly had it dubbed. Oh, I had a dub of it that I probably wore out. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this movie so many times. I could have put it on my, my the Facebook list in my top ten. Oh, wow. Nice. I, I easily could have. I love this movie. It's one of those movies that I grew up watching, and but then when I put it on, like, even when I rewatched it for the podcast, I feel good watching it. It, like, makes... Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun. I didn't grow up watching, you know, a ton of... And I still don't... Haven't watched, like, a ton of classic martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. And I think basically because like this filled that hole for me, and I was good. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, and I, like I don't mind movies with martial arts in them, or or gunplay or swords or anything like that. They're fun. I mean, I watched The Matrix, and that's got tons of martial arts in it. But this is very different. This has that it's it's got that John Carpenter vibe with. You know, his one of his favorite stars, Kurt Russell, who I think is probably one of my... He's probably my favorite action movie star, even though he's done other things. Mm-hmm. I would say in the 80s, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter pairing is the closest anyone got to the De Niro-Scorsese pairing. Hmm. Oh, oh, that's an excellent... That's an excellent uh, like their, observation. Their batting average was just... Well, and, and I think one of the things that's really interesting that I I agree, but one of the things that is interesting is they have all those movies that John Carpenter did are very have kind of a cult following. Yeah. Where and it's not a mainstream following. Yeah. But They're like the B movie Scorsese De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> the only awards they're winning is Fangoria Awards. <laughs> totally I totally worth it, especially for these. Mhm. The, the kind of pseudo-love interest and female protagonist in this movie is played by Kim Cattrall. Amazing. Best, best known for probably Sex in the City, but this was the first movie I saw her in. So when I saw Six, Sex in the City, I was like, why is Gracie Law in this? <laughs> <laughs> and why is she playing a totally different person? Yeah. And then, and then I think the only other thing I ever saw her in was Mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> the best part about her dynamic with Jack is that every time they talk, 
Carpenter has them like speak as if they're in like a 50s romance movie kind of or something like they have a real quick back and forth mm-hmm. that nobody else has with each other in the entire movie yeah well like when he when they first meet that's that's like yeah. such a hilarious scene like he had just been dr- playing gambling and with Wang and, and drinking all night and drinking yeah. all night and he's like can I ask you a serious question absolutely not well why not well you, you, if you're standing from where where I am, yeah, she goes. She he goes. Well, then, would you ever consider going? And she goes, not with anyone in your condition. Well, let's talk about my condition. <laughs> you should be standing where I am, upwind. It's Miller time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I do when it's Miller time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their relationship is very fun to watch. Well, and 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 it's it's a fun banter mm-hmm. back and forth because there's obviously this tension there, and the whole movie she's just totally resisting. You're disgusting. And he just won't stop. But at the same time, he also gets kind of frustrated with her because of her how uh, persistent she is to try and help and do good. And not just like, he ends up being this... He very, just wants his truck. He just wants his truck. <laughs> yeah. He wants his winnings and yes. his truck. Yes. His winnings and his truck. Yeah. So Jack Burton is a truck driver who... Of the the pork, pork Chop Express. The pork Chop Express. Well, and I didn't get this until watching this movie when I was older. Like, when he goes to Chinatown, he's actually... There's, like, a truck that he's... They're emptying, and they're taking pigs off of his truck. Yeah. And I, like, totally didn't yeah. get that until I got older. I was like, oh, that's why. From the very beginning of the movie, he you see him on, like, his CB radio, like, give, telling stories and giving, you know personal advice <laughs> when a wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac <laughs> slams your favorite head against the barroom wall <laughs> and asks you if you've paid your dues just tell him what old jack burton says have i paid my dues well the check's in the mail <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good taps your favorite head yes against the <laughs> barroom wall <laughs> Eventually, you know, as this whole... The main plot line of the story is Jack is trying to help Wang get his truck back and get Wang's future, you know, fiancé back. Who has been stolen into sex slavery? Yes. This is a film that deals with a very serious issue, which is human trafficking. Yeah. That people overlook because it's lighthearted but John Carpenter was ahead of his time and was trying to make a socially conscious film. <laughs> and I almost made it through that without laughing. <laughs> In order to do this, they have to... Um, they first decide to track her, try and track her down by following the Lords of Death, street punks of Chinatown, yes. which leads them into the middle of a, a battle between... The Wing Kong, who are the who are like wear red sashes, and the Chang Sing, who wear the gold sashes, and the Wing Kong work for evil David Lopan, played by the great character actor James Hong, who from Blade Runner, Blade Runner, and Seinfeld, Hmm. Wayne's World Two, all right, Tango and Cash, all right. Another Kurt Russell film. Another great Kurt Russell film. The one thing about Lopin is he's not of this world. 
in yeah. a way. He is kind of he's kind of a ghost with magical powers. And he needs a a girl with green eyes in order to bring him back to you know, of flesh. So he is no longer a kind of a spirit. He is whole. He's gotta like break a curse or something, yeah, right? Yes. He has to sacrifice. To to his emperor um Ching Dai. In order to do that, he needs a girl with green eyes. And hey, what color eyes does Wang's girlfriend have? Green. I know. This is getting really complicated. Yeah. So let's just make sure that we all know where we're, where we're headed on here. <laughs> does anyone else have green eyes? Kim Cattrall. Well, we find out later Kim Cattrall also has green eyes. We oh. find out later, like, we haven't seen her on the screen and don't notice that she also has green eyes. It's not really obvious until you really get close up. That's true. Before, while you're talking about all these groups with powers, can we talk about like the three special guys that like float in and they're the wearing three storms? Yeah, thunder, lightning, and well, what's the guy who I puffs used, up? I always thunder. thunder is there's thunder, lightning, and I always thought it was wind, but if you look in the credits, it's rain. Okay. I thought sure. so. I, I thought wind was cooler. So personally. real, real quick though, like didn't those guys weren't they like demons of some kind? And had they sacrificed something to Lopan, and they had that's why they had special powers? No, I or think they, I think they're just followers of him. Yeah, but they're special than the other guys. Yeah, they do yeah. have some powers. Like lightning can shoot lightning. Yeah, yeah. very uh, Emperor Palpatine kind of lightning. He well, he can also get ripped off by Mortal Kombat as mm-hmm. a character named Raiden. That they definitely should owe John Carpenter some money. Actually, well, you know what? Um, in my research, John, John Carpenter says that he got the influence from Mortal Kombat. When did Mortal Kombat come out? I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> Does John Carpenter smoke a lot of weed? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. I'm pretty sure Mortal Kombat was not out in 1986. <laughs> Well, maybe there was something else that influenced the video game. Maybe. Maybe. But, uh, well, cause but those... you were right. There is definitely a connection. Oh, there. yeah. The hat. So anyway. Because those three guys seem to have extra special powers. Yeah. Thunder can, like, you know, cause, like, thunder kind of by <laughs> sh- blowing up and then rattling the, the earth, I guess. Who knows? Okay. Wind or rain. I think I always thought it was wind because he seemed to move very swiftly. Okay. And then, yes, lightning can, you know, he has lightning. Those guys were really scary. I remember finding them really scary when we were kids. I remember them being really kind of badass. Hell yeah. And and kind of scary. Yeah. But more badass. I mean, especially towards the end when Thunder, like, Inflates turns into a garbage pail kid. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes, yes, yes. In one of the <laughs> garbage there's pail like two kid. scenes that I feel just go full slapstick. Yes, that's one, and then the fight. Actually, another two. <laughs> <laughs> Both times that Wang fights lightning, the one where they're flying through the oh, air, yeah, sword yeah, fighting. and they're doing that's that's that's. Wind slash rain. You're talking about okay. this? Like they're doing this sideways? Yes, yes, so They're yes, flying yes. through the air, which, yes. Yeah, and they both, like, time their jumps at the same yeah. time so that they meet midair. Very uh, silly. And then it's also him when they're fighting 
like the cameras in a room and you see them in the hall just come back and forth through the room yes. yeah. and just like furniture is flying <laughs> everywhere. This movie, I mean, that's one of the things that makes this movie great. Is that it's of no genre? I think I and think it just you're right. bounces between multiple genres seamlessly. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a suspense movie. It's a yes. it's a martial arts movie. Yes, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's got some horror elements. Got some horror. I think one of the scar- sci-fi. Yeah, I think one of the scariest scenes that I remember growing up was actually when. Jack and Wang first try to break into the Wing Kong Trading Company, and they go in the elevator. Oh yeah, and elevator. The, and they go down in the elevator. It starts filling with water, yeah. Yeah. and then when they get out, they're swimming. And when they're swimming uh, in there, and there's all these dead bodies. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a straight up horror. Scene. That's very scary. Yeah, yeah. Elevators, and then didn't didn't Wang say something about? I guess. Because of the sorcery and the kind of supernatural qualities in this movie, when uh, Jack had said, "Hey, we can open the top of the elevator and climb up the the wires or the uh, oh up the up the up, up the cable up the cables," and the guy's like, uh, "Yeah, that's super greasy and it would never work." He goes, "Hey, at least it's real." I mean, because that was <laughs> kind of at that point this whole idea, like what? Because Lopan had appeared as this like ghost thing that. Jack had driven his truck through earlier, so he's right. questioning what he sees mm-hmm. in front of him as actually being tangible and real. Well, and, and and that was like the most up to that point, like that was probably the most like extreme thing he had seen. Like he had seen the three storms, like and how they were fighting with the lightning and all of that. But then running through a guy, yeah, almost, almost killing him, and then being blinded by his magic. Yeah, he's like, like light beaming out of his eyeballs. Which can be cured by just splashing some dirty rainwater in your eyes. <laughs> that was that gross. <laughs> yeah. So seeing Lopan later, like all the weird things that were going on later, really kind of stand like it's like just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Until he gets his drink that makes him feel kind of invincible. <laughs> and then Jack is ready to deal with whatever comes along. Yeah. Lop. Lo, let me just quickly say when Lopan is in his very, very old, old, old man makeup, <laughs> he really reminds me of Gollum. Oh yeah, he's basically <laughs> like Gollum from hair. Lord of the Rings. The only difference is, is Gollum is much more limber. Yeah, Gollum and Gollum's skin wasn't quite as translucent as they both uh, Lopan. Their precious. True. They sure did. True. There. I mean. There you go. You have Lord of the Rings influencing something. That, there you go. Right there. And he, I mean, he wanted, he needed to marry them. Thus, there's a ring involved. There you go. See, now we've crossed in the fantasy. Yeah. There you go. Carpenter owes money to J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> apparently. I liked Wang's um, friend in the plaid. Eddie. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. in the plaid suits. Mm-hmm. He was good. He was the maitre d' at the Dragon of the Black Lagoon restaurant. Mm. <laughs> or, no, Dragon of the Black Pool. That was it. Dragon of the yeah. Black Pool restaurant that, that Wang owns yep. and runs. Can we also talk about the buffoon qualities of Jack, though? Like, just so, just the way that he approached some of these. Like, he was very confident, but didn't have a lot of reason to be. I think he very rarely pulls anything off. I mean, he has... And before he does anything, he, like, 
with gusto will be like, here we go. We're going to go through this door and blah, 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 blah. And then he opens the door and there's a full gang there and he closes it back. Maybe up. not. We may be yeah. trapped. Yeah, exactly. We may be trapped. I mean, even in that big banquet hall area, right when the weddings were about to start, you know, he's about to charge into the room and he shoots his gun and he shoots it in in the in the sheetrock above him and knocks himself out. Knocks himself yeah. out. So he's or, not even available to fight. Or then when he does <laughs> start like waking up and can fight, he is being approached by someone with a sword. He sticks his this is a I love this yeah. scene. This because it's great. It's so great. He has a he has a, a knife a dagger in his boot. He pushes the the dagger out so it's below below his foot and stabs the guy and kills him, but then the weight of the guy is so heavy he can't get up. Yep. <laughs> so he's not involved in the whole rest of the fight. Yeah. Well, pre- before that, like, when they first escaped the Wing Kong um, trading company, bef- like, after the scene that you had just described with the doorway, they everyone else runs and hides, and it's him and Wang, and he takes his knife out and accidentally throws it across yeah. the room, he goes and chases his knife down, and in the me- meantime, when Wang beats the crap out of all the guys, and when he finally comes back, like, ha-ha, yeah. I'm ready, they're, they're all, all laying on the yep. ground. I mean... Awesome. The other, great, the other great part of that scene before Wang shows up is how him and uh, Gracie kiss in the elevator, and so when he comes out to be like, to talk to Lopan, be like... You know, I'm here to fight you guys, blah, blah, blah. He's just got lipstick. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was at the awesome. end. Awesome. Yes. Okay. That yeah, was yeah. at the end. It was excellent. During the big fight scene in the, like, main room with the skull, the mm-hmm. skull stairwell and with stuff. The, with, with the, the elevator. With the, like, the, the skull yeah. elevator. With the, like, very oddly placed, like, neon lighting. Yes. <laughs> yes. The part that I love in that scene... It was a very strange, like, mall that they were at. Just kidding. <laughs> the, the... <laughs> Can you imagine that? It was like an ele- escalator mall. What if they actually filmed it at a mall? All the Could bad be. stores are upstairs, so you go through some skull's mouth to get Pretty them. much. That's where Forever 21 is or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Top, hot there's topic. A, there's a scene where Egg Chen and Lopan use like avatars yes. to fight each other. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Lopan is moving his thumbs like he's holding a controller well, for a video he, game. Well he's yeah. got his, he has these very his extreme long yeah. nails on yeah. his pinkies and he has them crossed and he's shooting this lightning out this light out of his cross yeah. and he's moving his thumbs as if he's, like he's playing, playing rock or rock'em sock'em <laughs> robots or something. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of the other areas where like Verges way towards comedy, which is great, and one of the reasons why I love this movie. And it's a, it's a cool effect too. The other thing about this movie is all the special effects. Not all of them are practical. Not at all. And the the ones that are practical are great eighties practical effects. And then the stuff that is, like, it's not CGI. Whatever, mm-hmm. no. whatever it is at that time. They're great. Well, so we had mentioned this before. One of there's a couple like little demon monsters part of the like the darkness of the Lopan's domain. So which which leads to there being some great kind of stop motion that they use. The first is to get when they go to break into the Wing Kong Exchange the second time, they go through this like 
weird underbelly of San Francisco, which, if it did exist, I want to go there because <laughs> it would be so cool. Where instead, where like the sewer water is like is like you know, like all smoky, like and cloudy, but then there's this one kind of. Uh, stop motion effect where like this giant kind of bug creature comes out and eats one of the uh, Ching Sing you know hole so you've got some stop motion there and then there is the giant blob covered in eyes yes (laughs) which acts as the it's like the spy for Lopan what it sees Lopan knows and Lopan can communicate through it too through it too and this thing freaks out Jack like like crazy. He's like, "What the hell is that?" And it's just covered in these eyes. Um, again, stop motion, but mm-hmm. you know, no CGI in this. You know, th- this is def- like you said. You know, they try and do practical effects as much as they can. They've got um, the uh, like orangutan monster is a dude in a suit, and so. it looks rad as hell. <laughs> He's he's Harry Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, a uh, like scary cousin. Yeah, his meth head cousin. Uh, or, pretty much. Or or if they tried to clone Harry from Harry and the Hendersons and they couldn't get the DNA right, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally feasible for a movie like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite comedic scenes in it is when. They go to find Mao Yen at the the brothel, and Jack has to go in. Oh, yeah. Um, He's looking fly as a nerd. It's so great. It 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 reminds me of the scene in Blade Runner when Deckard has to go investigate the person with the snake skin, Mm -hmm. and he goes in. He's like, hey, I'm here from blah, blah, blah. Like, he acts all nerdy. Kurt Russell in that scene, I would watch an entire movie of him playing that character if that <laughs> character was a real guy. It's pretty funny. It's, he's, he's just ridiculous in that the scene. The glasses yeah. and the hair combed through. Yep. Howdy, ma'am. Yeah. yeah. I really like ladies with green eyes. Chinese girls don't come with green eyes. And that lady's like, what? Hold on. <laughs> Price is no option. <laughs> so. so you want to talk about favorite characters? Well, I mean, Jack Burton is such... I mean, like I said, this is my... Prim- next to Wyatt Earp and Tombstone, this is easily my favorite Kurt Russell role, mm. I think. Well, there I you just, go. I just really love watching him in this role. And I really don't think that anyone else could have played... Mm-mm. Like, he made Jack Burton. I will say this. In my research, I saw two names of other people that were considered for the role. One was Clint Eastwood. Terrible. And one was Jack Nicholson. Terrible work. <laughs> and so, yes, Kurt Russell was the only person. I was going to say, neither considered. of them would have had the same kind of gun show in that tank top the way that Kurt Russell did. If, if, no. Oh, if, if it were... Jack Nicholson, they would have had to have made him the sidekick. I don't think he could he can't, have. He I don't can't think fight he could people pulled, like I don't that. think he could have pulled it off. No. No. If it were Clint Eastwood, Ugh. he would insist that he was the star. Yes. So, and it would be a very different movie. Oh, yeah. and, then, and then halfway through filming it, he probably would say, sorry, John Carpenter, I'm going to finish directing this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Kurt Russell for the win. Kurt Russell, yeah. definitely. I think Kurt Russell also, like, turned down doing other movies just so he could do this movie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at that point, like, 
even though Escape from New York and The Thing weren't, like, huge hits, you know that he knew, like, me and this guy Carpenter have something. Right. So, like, of course I'll go make this movie with him. There's something about, like, there's kind of a swagger that he adds to Jack Burton. And while it is kind of an overconfidence... Which is false bravado. Yeah, the the overconfidence, the, like... The buffoonery that yeah. that comes with it, he just pulls it off so well to where yeah, he's he, not afraid of taking a risk. He yeah. can make the line I have it written down: sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. If we're not back by dawn, call the president. <laughs> yeah, and in his mind, he's like, seriously, call the president, like. Yeah. I'm worth saving. You know what, though? I never... I never really took it as him being that serious. <laughs> I always took it as him just being like, I just want my fucking truck. I want my I truck. Don't really, I, don't, I need I like, my money. He's not, he's not really thinking, like, bringing in the army to solve I think this. As soon, I, think he, I, I think as soon as he sees, like, fucking wizards flying around <laughs> and stuff that he is saying, call the president. <laughs> There's some crazy stuff going on down here in Chinatown. Don't you? Yeah, but don't you think? Like, granted, it might be false, but he also feels like he has the he has the capacity to like lock it down. Yeah, and so if he can't do it, it's a real emergency. <laughs> if Jack Burton can't accomplish something, you're gonna have to bring in the National Guard. I guess. <laughs> Is he your favorite character, also? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He's just—he's ridiculous, and he's—he's he's so charismatic, and just any scene he's in will bring a smile to my face. Yeah, yeah. It's—he's the best. It's my favorite Kurt Russell role too. Oh, just like hands down, your favorite oh, of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because Snake Plissken's cool, but he's not fun. His character in the thing. Is just basically being psychologically tortured for a whole movie. That's not fun. It's a great movie, yeah. but I haven't seen it yet. What about him as White Earp and Tombstone? I've only seen Tombstone once. That's a tragedy, <laughs> right there. That that that's a great movie. I like him in Backdraft. Oh yeah, I love him that, in Backdraft. The fact that's that really he can pull off being an elder sibling that loves. Billy Baldwin. That's <laughs> acting right there. Oh, poor Billy Baldwin. Alec Baldwin's a great actor, and he can't even pull that off in real life. <laughs> Are you sure you're not talking about Stephen Baldwin? Oh, he hates him too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Kim. I think Kim Cattrall, just because this is you know like what we, we first remember her from this movie, and I always remember thinking she was real tough and. I, I, I like her a lot actually, in this movie. I actually, but I mean, of course, I give Kurt Russell a lot of credit. He's what I remember the most from this movie. I I hadn't seen this movie in easily 30 years. So oh, watching this movie again, it was an experience. I actually really, <laughs> I actually do like her character. Her character, she is kind of, she plays a lawyer, but she never, like, 
seems like she's a lawyer, mm-hmm. but she she definitely has a toughness to her, and she kind of doesn't get freaked out that that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't scare she easily. She has no problem punching someone in the face or anything like that, and or rescuing people from sex trafficking while also trying to get a reporter to do an ex- expose on it. That's right. To try to end it because mm-hmm. again, a socially conscious film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you almost made it. <laughs> But it so. is weird that there's this underpinning that is, like, incredibly serious. Yeah. In this bizarre, whacked-out film. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, is anyone going to acknowledge that apparently this was supposed to be a sequel to Buckaroo Banzai? Someone, there, there is a rumor that that, that, that is the case. Like, yeah. Like, John Carpenter was going to make a, a sequel to that movie. Yeah. And it just turned into this. Mm-hmm. Um is Buckaroo Banzai, is it set in the Old West? Because apparently the original script for this, it was going to be a Western. No, it's it's not. But hmm. I've never seen Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, I tried watching Buckaroo <laughs> Banzai, and I, I, I turned it off just at the right time. Which was like 10 minutes in. One other goofy thing about this movie I gotta mention is the. um, I know we talk a lot about cheesy 80s saxophone, but this has the cheesy 80s synthesizer. All done by John Carpenter, who also did the music in Halloween. Wow. The score fucking rules. It is. John (laughs) Carpenter is the best. John Carpenter, he is at his best. Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. As one man. <laughs> He's making a great movie and a great score. Oh, gosh. That is... The guitars sound kick-ass in it. The drums sound cool. Synthesizers. I, synthesizer sounds great. I love it. <laughs> the only thing... The only time the music sucks is when the credits roll and there's a song with words. Yeah. Big... It's got like yeah. song big like, trouble in little China. China. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but even still, the music of that song is cool. Well, maybe maybe what happened was was they said we need an end song for it, and then they got. I mean, I don't know who's singing it, but that could be like Meatloaf singing it. It could be John Carpenter, <laughs> for all I know. <laughs> You know the last year he toured just playing yes. his scores? Yes. Because he rules so much. <laughs> he, 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 he is an accomplished musician and very proud of it. Yeah. And, he, and he gets a lot of acclaim for it. So the fact that he's he wants to score his own films is really a test to how he is an, an artist. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there have been some movies that are only really have, like, tr- like real cult followings of his but you know he needs to kind of be put in a at like a higher level than than I think he really gets gets credit for yeah definitely well, I had no idea he scored this that's interesting yeah the like his first movie before Halloween taking a poem one two three actually got remade yeah starring Denzel Washington is it like and it was like just this I low thought it was budget assault film. on precinct 13 it's assault on it is. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, but the, the thing that always bummed me out when I first saw the movie is at the time, you know, you go to the 
video store and like there was just sequels to everything you know like every movie had sequels this movie ends with a setup for a sequel when the like monster is on the back of this truck and I can as a kid like every time not every time I went to the video store but many times going to the video store I would look at the box and look next to it hoping that there would be a Big Trouble in Little China 2 next to it and it never happened I one and done that's except that's a tragedy that now there's talk that there will be a sequel starring The Rock well there's it's hard to tell what's happened. The story, the story. What I've read online is that he's in everything. He was, tr- he it was do- trying to get the rights to remake it. Yes. But John Carpenter said, "I'm sorry, I will not give you permission to do that." So they are not going. I guess that's been stalled. They're not going to re. They're probably not going to remake it. But it's very possible that they might like redo it in a similar way that like Jumanji was done where Jumanji was a movie with Robin Williams yes. and then instead of remaking it they kind of made like a sequel to it yes with The Rock and Kevin Hart how about Jack Burton is still driving the Pork Chop Express The Rock is a monster He's the he's <laughs> he's the Harry and the Hendersons monster. Sure. <laughs> and Jack has to defeat him. He's got to find Wang, get the old gang back together. Well, what know, is what is Kurt Russell's kid's name? Maybe Wyatt? he should play it. Maybe Wyatt Russell should play that role now. Well, you know, Kurt Russell was in a Fast and the Furious movie or multiple of them, so he knows Dwayne Johnson. And, or at the Rock. That's true. So maybe they could work something out, and if they could just get John Carpenter on board, I mean, I think if you got John Carpenter on board, even if the Rock had to be like the lead in it, and he has to go and maybe there is you know, you know Chinese black magic brewing somewhere else, and he has to find Jack Burton to help him, and the two of them team up. And then Jack yes. Burton can still be the buffoon yes. that he was, yes. but now be the sidekick. Yes. Yes. There yes. we go. So the, I would I would definitely go see that. I would see that. The bummer with this movie is that it bombed so badly. And John Carpenter felt that like the studio didn't help promote it and stuff. They made him add the beginning to the film, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. That he never worked for a major studio ever again. Really? Never. He went independent from then on out. Oh. And so all of his movies after never had, like, a good budget, blah, mm. blah, blah. Yeah. Here's my question to you, Matt. They live with Kurt Russell in the lead. Oh, instead of Roddy Roddy? Yes. Would that make it better for you or worse? Wow, I th- I mean, no offense to Rowdy Roddy Piper, but they almost make Rowdy Roddy Piper look like Kurt Russell. Yes, in how he dresses and everything like that, and in a lot of ways, you almost think like that role was probably supposed to be Kurt Russell yes. in the first place. Would it be better? Because They Live is a classic. It's great. It's a classic. Never seen it. <clears throat> it, I think actually you would really like it mm. because it really touches it, it and again. Um, it's not sex trafficking, 
but it does touch on some like very like poignant political kind of yes kind it of, does cool. kind of topics that is as if not more relevant today than oh, it was oh, then. It was this is also John Carpenter? Yeah. Yes, it was super predicting. Yeah. It was predicting mm, things okay. that are probably... It's all happening. about, like, okay. media brainwashing people. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. It just happens to star a WWF wrestler in the lead role. Well, you know. <laughs> Who, and, and, yeah, I mean, I would it be better? It would probably only be better because I would know, knowing the connection that the two, the, the director and the and the actor have, mm-hmm. I'll give props to Rowdy Ryan Piper for, you know, doing the best he could in that movie. Yeah. You know, because um, he would, you know. He's good in it. He's not bad yeah. in it. He's not bad mm-hmm. in it. What's your, so what's your favorite scene in Big Trouble in <clears throat> China? It's the brothel scene when he shows up really? as a <laughs> doofus. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. That's a pretty good scene. It's, yeah, I just love that scene. He's just, he almost reminds me of before he revs up in the character, Chris Farley's motivational speaker character. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. suit. Yes. Yeah. Similar The look. hair. Yeah. The glasses. Just like, Matt, well, let, uh, Matt me, Foley. let me tell you about something. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, Nancy, how about your... I think um, towards the end after, you know, when Gracie and Jack kiss and then he's got the lipstick all over his face and then he confronts uh, Lopan. Confronts Lopan. Yeah. Um, I I think my favorite scene is... I really love the scene when Jack and Wang are first introduced to old Lopan. Oh, yeah. Because he is so creepy. And so, and, like, the way he asks questions, he's like, shut up, Mr. Burton. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, the way he talks to him and everything like that, he just has this, like, I'm a 2,000-year-old curmudgeon kind of vibe. Yeah, get off and, my lawn. And, um, like I said, I I love a lot of this movie. Um, it's just really fun. But that scene, like, watching it recently, really kind of stood out, like, yeah. this is this is fun. And, again... James Hong, I every time I see him in something, and and people would recognize if not him, like when they see him, they would recognize his voice. Mm-hmm. He also plays um, <clears throat> Poe's dad yeah. in the Kung Fu Panda series, yeah. um, the Duck, and um, he's so <coughs> like when I heard his voice the first time I saw Kung Fu Panda, I was like, that's amazing that he's in this movie. <laughs> that is amazing. His character gets, like, that high-pitched giggle yeah. in this movie, which I think is funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think that, may, you know, currently that's my favorite scene. Yeah. So. No, Lopan really steals steals every scene he's in. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the cast and, you know, actors who have been, like, in repeated things, besides Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall... You know, James Hong is the, he's like the main guy in this movie and he totally pulls it off. So. Well, there is an actor <clears throat> that is in this movie that's in the next movie we're talking about. Al Young? Yep. Al Young. <laughs> yeah. He had a great four year run of films. What was he in? Big Trouble in Little in China. In eighty six, he's in Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Eighty seven, he plays Endo in Lethal Weapon, the guy yes. who tortures Riggs yes. with the electrocution. Yes. Gets his neck snapped. 
88, Die Hard, yep. plays Uli. 89, Genghis Khan, Bill and Ted's <laughs> Excellent Adventure. That's right. And and he, he like... That's he would, a streak right there. It is a streak. That is the genre film version of John Cazale, the guy who played Fredo in oh, Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who had a short, this short is, career. This is Al Young's... Godfather, Godfather 2, Deer Hunter, and Deer Hunter, and Dog Day in Afternoon. <laughs> Hilarious. He definitely kind of stood out, like, when I saw the two films together, I was like, oh, well, he's jumping out. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, we, uh, we're gonna move on to our next film, which is Beloved by Many, and... Some have even tried to put this in the Christmas movie genre. Because it, it is. It's a Christmas movie. It is. Or it's just a movie that takes place at Christmas. No, it is a Christmas movie. Or Well, if it makes people feel good around Christmas time, because Christmas time can make people feel shitty, then it makes people feel good, fine. It's a Christmas movie. When or, the only person who adamantly says it's not is Bruce Willis, who has clearly lost his mind... <laughs> We can safely say I mean, it's a Christmas it, movie. I mean, it's so much a Christmas movie that a repeating musical instrument for the score are sleigh bells through this entire movie. That's Yeah. That's, like, you hear that sound through the very opening credits all the way to the end. I mean, it sings Let It Snow at the very end. Okay, I mean, well, let, it well, is a Christmas movie. Well, okay. Well, you know, I'll take it a step <laughs> further. You're, you're, you're slowly convincing me, but maybe maybe I've convinced myself. Maybe it's the whole fact that they're going in to steal a bunch of money and greed. Maybe greed is the whole, is the underlying reason why this is a Christmas movie. Could be. But I mean, there's Santa, there's a Christmas party, there's, it's the on Christmas reason, Eve. The only reason John is there is to reunite with his family for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> He's brought Christmas gifts with him. That big bear in the back of the limo. Christmas and Hollis plays. Oh, yeah. Let's put some Christmas music on. This is Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a Christmas movie. So Die Hard came out in 88, starring Bruce Willis as John McClane. He and um, Jack Burton are almost like opposites in the sense that John McClane is incredibly competent and ends up being kind of alone through a majority of this movie very, very quick on his feet, on his bare feet, and really does everything he can to outsmart these incredible terrorists and that have taken over Nakatomi Center. While constantly questioning himself. Yeah. Why didn't you do this, John? Why weren't you, you know, why didn't you stand up to this person, and John? And then you'd be dead too, asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much like Jack Burton... Stumbling upon, stumbling into a situation he never would have expected, you know. John McClane shows up at his wife's Christmas party, his estranged wife's Christmas party. Now they've only one thing that that I was shocked about when watching this was they've only been apart for six months. Was they it act as if was it only six months? They've only because she took this job in July and now it's Christmas. Okay. Wait, when is it? It's all. She said, they say in the conversations about the job mm-hmm. that she took the job in July and then now it's Christmas. Christmas, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, sure. it's a Christmas it's a movie, movie that takes right. place around Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely goes past midnight. 
and he gets there for a Christmas Eve party. So it is Christmas. Well, it's because it takes place <laughs> then. Christmas isn't really the theme. All right, all right, all right. So in unless a, it's greed. In in addition to him stumbling into a situation he didn't expect, it's also a bit of a fish out of water story. You know, he feels very out of place. You know, he's a New York Fucking cop. California. Yeah, I mean, multiple times he says California. He's fucking California. Because he sees a woman in yoga pants. Whoa. No, it's also because when he gets to the to the Christmas party, some dude says Merry Christmas to him and kisses him yes, on the face. But the first time he says it is because of yoga pants. Yoga pants with the woman jumping into the guy's arms at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they show up at this Christmas party and, you know, he's pissed off already because his wife's not using his last name. So he's already got some issue against Holly for using her maiden name. And she tries to say, look, it's a Japanese company. It makes more sense for me to pretend I'm not married. But you are married. Mm -hmm. Which is when she leaves the room, (laughs) that's when they set up that John is fond of talking to himself. Because as soon as she leaves, he's like, good job, John. Why'd you have to bring that up? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, before before any of the uh, major action starts, he already hates everything about being there. I mean, he meets this real slime ball named Harry Ellis, who is basically just called Ellis, you know, sniffing coke all the time, just this mm-hmm. real sleazy sales guy. Trying to get into, his, into Holly's pants. Ugh, just everything about him is so <laughs> repulsive. Show the, oh, show him the watch. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, I'll a show Rolex. Him yeah, the, he's just so the gross. Thing, the thing that I love about Ellis is that he's in Holly's office doing coke. And then when John is like, oh, he's definitely got eyes on you, she's like, I've got eyes on his private bathroom. He has a private bathroom he could go do coke in. Why is he in Holly's office? Because that's it? where he was. He, like, just had to do it right that right. He wasn't going to take the time to walk three doors down and, you know. Right. Yeah, he was well, in the moment. Well, at, fr- from scenes of watching the party as it was going on, it seems like other things might have been going on in his office, like <laughs> like people getting nailed on people's desks. Yeah, there's it's it was a very uh, well, a very feisty ho- uh, holiday party this for is sure. Why I think a lot of companies are like maybe we won't have booze at our Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, it's very very intense, but. You know, it doesn't take, we're not more than, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes in when Hans Gruber and the gang of thieves all show up and take over the building. And Hans Gruber is played by Alan Rickman. Like, his first movie role, one of the best villains ever in a movie. <laughs> and And he's so smart. He's so slick. And for so much of the movie... Everything is going the terrorist way. I mean, and that's what's so fun about this movie is just seeing how hard John is working, all these tiny little things he can do to try to stay ahead. You know, the terrorists are so far ahead of him until it really just starts to fall apart for them in the last act of the movie. Um, But yeah, Alan Rickman, fantastic in this movie. He's so great as Hans Gruber. Uh, I was just going to point out that... um one anecdote that I'd like to point out is that 
Alan Rickman impressed everyone making this movie so much that at one point he started doing an American accent on set. And they wrote in a scene where Hans Gruber finally meets John McClane and they have him play like like he was one of the hostages mm-hmm. with an American accent and he uses his American accent. Spoiler alert, my favorite scene. That's your favorite scene? I think so. I mean, I think because he... He real he, they they figure out who each other who they each are. Oh, love it. Well, the, love that scene the so funny much. Thing with that scene is that John is suspicious of him. Oh yeah. But not suspicious enough to not tell him his real name, because up until that point he's telling him his name's Roy. No, I think at that point he had already. No, over the over the walkie, mm-hmm. he's like. He's saying, like, oh, hey, cowboy, Roy, blah, 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 blah. And so Rick Gruber says his name's William Clay or right. Bill Clay. Bill Clay. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm John McClane. But then immediately gives him the gun unloaded because he's like. They already knew his name was John McClane because Ellis had already spilled the beans earlier. Yeah, Ellis had already spilled the beans at that point. Hans, oh, so Bobby, I'm your white dead. knight. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But, here's, but here's the thing, because that's how he, he finds out about the detonators, and he uses Ellis to try and get the detonators. That's right, okay. But even, John McClane is a cop. Even still, I don't think he was going to ever give someone that he did, had just met. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was lo- loaded. Yeah. So... Whether that was Han- he thought it was Hans or not, he's not giving him a gun. Yeah. He's just yeah. giving him something to feel, you know, like he's safe. Yeah. You know, this, you know, Die Hard also is one of those great examples of how it doesn't matter what kind of credentials you have. This movie proves there are like three smart good guys in this movie and then a whole bunch of smart bad guys. But everyone else who's technically supposed to be on the right side of the law is a goddamn idiot. I mean, from the 911 dispatcher who dismissed the fire alarm and then dismissed John McClane's, you know, rooftop plea SOS call, everyone just kind of shutting him down. Even Al for a little bit, you know, when he comes. Al Al Pal. His name is Al Pal. All these years, I thought he was calling him Pal, like, hey, Pal, how you doing? But his last name is actually Powell. Even he was driving away until a dead body fell into his car. And then he finally got with the program and realized, oh, shit, I guess there's something really happening here. But then everybody else, all the rest of the LAPD, the TV news guys, like everybody in the news was stupid. FBI, all of them suck. They are all horrible and stupid. To be fair to Officer Powell. Winslow? Mr. Winslow? Yes, Carl Winslow. He does go in... (laughs) And talk to the guard at the Huey front Lewis? desk that yes, I was going like to Huey say. Lewis, thank you. For years, I thought that was Huey Lewis. Me yeah. too. And I would watch the credits, and I'd be like, <laughs> I guess he's just uncredited. I guess he just decided <laughs> to be uncredited. That's something that happens. Huey Lewis has been in Back to the Future. He is an actor. To the point of everyone else being the worst. Here's a question I'll pose. To the both of you. You've got Dwayne T. Robinson, played by Paul Gleason, who was the principal in The Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Piece of shit. So you have him. 
You've got Richard Thornburg, who is played by William Atherton, who is also in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Combine their two, those two roles for each person. Who has the bigger asshole quota? Um, I think you mean, Gleason. You mean as actors or... With those two roles Gleason. that they have. I think Gleason. I'm saying Gleason as well. I would say Gleason, but I, when I, the most recent time I watched Ghostbusters was just a few years ago. Oh, more recent than I have. And when you look at the character that William Atherton plays in that, he's playing an environmentalist. So that's and not an whole, asshole role. And the entire like reason he wants to shut the Ghostbusters down is because of what it might be doing to the environment. Oh, the, the, shit. the carbon footprint yeah. of and capturing they, ghosts. They might have nuclear because they might have like a nuclear kind of like containment system that mm. is not that it doesn't have like the proper paperwork or some shit. Secret and hero. I totally thought like watching it now. I'm like, holy shit! I think I'm on the I'm, I'm on that guy's side. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is that much like John Carpenter, Ivan Reitman was making a socially conscious film <laughs> with the, under the guise of like a supernatural comedy. Yes. All right. Cool. Yes. <laughs> Fucking '80s trailblazers, man. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. We thought these were all just fun-loving filmmakers, but they were trying to change the world. So to answer your question, I'll say Paul Gleason, although there was a one point in Die Hard when when Paul Gleason's character, the, the, the chief, is like, the FBI guys come by, Johnson and Johnson, um, and he's like, maybe I should call the mayor on this. I mean, at some point he thought, like, maybe... He was such a dick the whole time. But he was like... <laughs> he was a... D- oh, I hope that's not one of the hostages. <laughs> My favorite line in the whole movie. Um, I So, yes. Uh, I, I And you, you had said, like, there's, like, three people that actually are smart in this. You've got Powell, uh, John McClane... And, and Holly. Holly. And that's, that's it. it. Everyone else is just like... Ugh. Well, I mean, you know, we'll... we'll We'll give credit to Takagi. Yeah, I don't think Takagi. he. I don't think he knew that they really were going to kill him. I mean, I think he, he was just caught up in a bad. I mean, if they had just told him, "We want all your bearer bonds," then he would have maybe said. Mm. He, they did. They said that they were. They they were basically like, "We we're here to get in the vault to steal all the money." They they were very okay. open to him, but, um, which is one of like. W- I think one of the things that makes this movie interesting is the whole the whole way that the thieve like the the, the group the 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 exceptional by, thieves yeah headed by Hans Gruber mm. is like is what their plot is. I mean, they have this very drawn out plot that with the exception of that the beginning you know they're trying to break into the vault and they've got explosives you don't really know, like, the whole kind of idea until the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gives up the whole idea of, like, you stick, you steal $60, you know, people don't really care, but you steal, or $600, but you steal $600 million, they're going to find you. Yeah. And how he had to, like, really antagonize first the police and then get the FBI involved yeah. in order to 
create this cover up, mm-hmm. which you know was actually really smart, mm-hmm. you know, on their part, and and even having the power shut down. Yeah, I mean, and and the 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 joy that the that Johnson and Johnson had thinking that oh the power's out now they need to sweat it out and they don't know what they're doing and of course they're like duh the power's out oh the joy starts playing <laughs> they finally get into the into the vault into the vault the final lock opens up. The thing that's weird to me about that, though, is how none of his guys know that he's doing that. No, I think they're pretty they're pretty on top of it. No, because they're like what like when he starts naming off the prisoners to get released, Carl's like, who who are they? Yeah, I read about him time because he knows they're all fake, which is you bring up an interesting point, though, is in the third Die Hard movie, mm. they're thinking that it, it that that twist does happen, where all the people who are working for Jeremy Irons' character Simon. all think that they're Hans's brother. Yeah, he's cousin, Hans's brother, brother. Brother. They all feel like think that they are doing some sort of like political thing, and it turns out it's, it's only, gold. It's only yeah, really okay. the steel shit. So. In the third movie, that happens, but in this one, it's all pretty clear. Like we're here to steal money. All right. Yeah, it was the only way for them to get the helicopters. They had to get the helicopters. Yeah. That that was you know the the bargaining chip he wanted to get the helicopters. But they weren't even going to ride on the helicopters. No, it was no. just to blow them up. Yeah. You know, I really appreciated, you know, how smart they made Holly. You know, she clearly was a smart woman because she'd gotten this huge promotion. She was moved across country to take on this job. Um, but she's she, a leader. She, I mean, she, she clearly she, she definitely tries to make sure that all of her people are taken care of as scared as they are. I mean, she gets the pregnant lady a couch. Yeah. And um, we have to mention this. Holly is played by Bonnie Bedelia, mm-hmm. who... Um, the only other thing I had seen her in up until this point was a wonderful movie called Heart Like a Wheel. Yep. Where she plays a race car driver. But I've always liked her as an actress. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that this is probably, like, one of those iconic roles where she actually gets to stand up and be, like, a strong female in the in this movie. Yeah. As opposed to just being, you know... She's not just a damsel in distress. Exactly. Not at all. And, exactly. and and you know they they Thank set her you. they set her up right away with um, how well respected she is in the company. But also, she's not going to take shit from John. Even yeah. though yes, he came all the way to California for Christmas, and you know she's like, well, why don't you just stay at our house? And then he starts to fight with her again, and she's like, hey, look, we've already had this discussion. You know, I got to go give a speech now because I'm important. I'll come back and we'll talk about this in a few minutes. And then, of course, everything happens. Well, and she, but and she she, said she misses him and, and yeah. she'd like it if like they could work things out. And he's the one that's just like, hey, stubborn. Yeah, he's being the dick about it. Yeah. But no, I think they and then in terms of just the way that she's relating with to the terrorists, you know, she's seems to really keep her cool through this in a way that it didn't look like a lot of the other co-workers and certainly not Ellis. I mean, Ellis, God, what a loser. Probably, probably my least favorite character in this whole movie. Um, you can, you can also see why her relationship with John could be combustible because all throughout the movie, you see John smart ass, 
like ready to fuck piss people off. Mm-hmm. And then there's one scene where you see that she's capable of it too, which is when Hans is like, "Who put you in charge?" And she's like, "You did when you killed my boss." Mm-hmm. Like, which is pretty ballsy to say to someone who killed your boss and yeah. could kill you on yeah. the spot <laughs> to be like, "You dipshit!" <laughs> like, I also I also like her because <laughs> there's this like there's a scene where John has just fought uh, Carl, one of the terrorists, and he comes down the stairs and is like, starts smashing, Carl starts smashing glasses in front of all the, the cat. All he's the, really all the angry. Hostages. He's, and the, the pregnant lady is like, he's really angry, and she goes, he's still alive. Only John could make someone yep. that angry. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's a great line. So yeah, Bonnie Bedelia. She's excellent. Excellent. In this. I think my favorite character in this movie is probably Hans Gruber and and yeah. it's really it's really hard to not like Alan Rickman's portrayal he's amazing because he I mean he definitely like just from this from this role you know the character he creates creates kind of a scary character but almost kind of like an admirable character because he's smart and he has like a charm to him the way he plays it but He's also just ruthless. He's just like, I don't give a shit. Hey, I'm going to count to three, mm-hmm. and there won't be a four, and I'm going to kill you when yep. I get to three. And he just does it. He he doesn't back down or anything. Yeah. So He's not he's not typical 80s foreign villain. No. Correct. He also doesn't do, like, the Bond villain thing where he describes his whole plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's he's he's a smart villain. He's very measured, too, you know, in terms of he, he just doesn't fly off the handle. And, you know, he's he's very calculated. And it's, I mean, you can really respect him. I mean, he's kind of an evil genius. And if this was the kind of movie where you're really rooting for the bad guy, I mean, you know, hands down, he's the easiest person to root for I mean I it's it's just this really tight race between who do I like more John McClane or Hans Gruber I mean it's it's really a toss up because they're both just so great in this movie when I was like looking up stuff about it I saw that uh, because this is based on a book I'll get to that later yeah Uh, (laughs) the screenwriter said that the only way that adapting it like made sense to him was he was actually writing it as if it was Hans's movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. And well, like you can, lot, you can see that. It is. Yeah. I mean, if you were to, if you were to clock it, they might almost have like John McClane and Hans Gruber in a lot of ways might have very close to the same amount of screen time. Quite possibly. There's a lot of yeah. scenes where it's just Hans talking to his henchmen, mm-hmm. Hans talking to Holly, Hans talking to Takagi. I mm-hmm. mean, he has a lot of dialogue in this movie. Yep. Um, the other th- to connect the two movies, though, I'd like to say this: like, and this is pretty common amongst '80s action movies anyway. Is John McClane and Jack Burton have a lot of like comedic one-liners, mm-hmm. and um, probably John, like Jack Burton's, like, like most quotable thing that people would always say is like like you know what Jack Burton always says what the hell mm-hmm. that kind of thing and you've got the famous line from Die Hard the yippee motherfucker that that whole thing but throughout this movie John McClane is 
got great line, mm-hmm. just great lines like one of my favorite scenes is the one that's in in a lot of the commercials for it whenever it's going to be on TV and stuff is when he's in the the air duct he lights his lighter come out to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of thing i mean just little lines like that that kind of well, they t- you into the kind of well, like they the- took a real risk having Bruce Willis, a television actor who I think was mostly in Moonlighting at this point. And 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 the you only know- reason he was able to make the movie is because Sybil Shepherd got pregnant. Oh, really? And so Moonlighting went on like Hi- filming. Hi- so Hi- he got to give birth to Die Hard. Yes. Nice. Which is wildly more successful than Sybil Shepherd's kid. <laughs> I don't. I don't know who that is. So whatever. That's why. Apologies it's to Sybil Shepherd's child. <laughs> um, no, he. I mean, he. I thought he had great, great comedic timing. Um, his relationship with Al, even though like Al kind of gets on my nerves. Really? But I mean, why? I don't know. Why like do you not like Al. I don't know. Like I can't uh, call him Al. His name is Powell. They call him Powell the whole time. Yeah, he. I mean. I like him. I like him. I mean, especially compared to every other inept law enforcement person in this movie. I don't know. There's... I don't know. He's he's even like like at the top. There, like there's this great scene between him and his chief when he's like, "Oh, they're they're shooting at us," and he's like, "They're trying to kill, shoot the lights." And then all of a sudden, the chief's like, "They're they're shooting out the lights." <laughs> yeah, dickhead, Je- uh, Gleason, John Gleason, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's. I don't know. I think you you're not giving Powell enough credit. I mean, he's 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 he, fine. He, he gets enough credit to ha- to appear in the sequel Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. John ha- John at one point uses this weird machine where he tries to get a fax <laughs> <laughs> with some information, I think, mm. which leads to the great pun where the the person who sends the fax for him is like, oh, I'm off work in 20 minutes if you want to get together later. And then John delivers the great pun, just the facts, man. <laughs> just the facts. Because <laughs> that is the quality of humor in Die Hard 2. Yeah. Well, before we dive too deep into favorite, you know, more favorite characters or favorite scenes, I just want to explain why I love this movie so much. Okay. So I'd probably seen this movie... Eh, like two or three times in the 90s and early 2000s. But when Jack and I got together, that's when I really started to believe in this movie as a Christmas movie. Like, I remember... you watch it every Christmas? I watch it pretty much every year. Yeah, I watch it maybe not right around... Kind of in the Christmas season, I'll put it on. And it was when... um, We got together in 2005, and we went out and visited his family that summer... We were just talking about movies with his sister, and she revealed, like, her favorite Christmas movie was Die Hard. And I was like, Die Hard? Interesting. I don't think I'd ever thought of it that way. But then I opened my mind to the idea, and then I really just got into watching this movie. I'm like, holy shit, this movie is amazing. I need to give this movie some attention. And, yeah, I watch it almost every year. So I've probably seen it another, I don't know, at least nine or ten times. In the last fourteen years, have so let's op- let's open this up now. Um, this movie has four sequels, 
Have you? How many of the sequels have you seen? Only two. I've seen Die Hard three, which I really like. I love that Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis are buddied up, and I love um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons as Simon. I think he's great. Um, and I think I saw the fourth one, and I ugh, could not get into it. You didn't like. That. Justin Long bugged me. I didn't like that Lucy was older. I just Timothy there was, Oliphant. I didn't like anything about that movie. Even though I love Timothy <laughs> Oliphant, I just nothing about that movie was interesting to me. What and about, I've never seen the second one. What about you, Drew? Uh, I've seen all of them multiple times. Uh, the fifth one, I think I've only seen twice. Uh, the fourth one, I've probably seen like three or four times. Uh, <laughs> The interesting thing to me about the Die Hard franchise is that the fifth movie, the worst one of all of them, is the only one that was written as a Die Hard movie. The first movie... Like he's supposed to die, actually? No, the first movie was based on a book that was a sequel to another book Hmm. called The Detective that was turned into a film starring Frank Sinatra in 1968. And in Sinatra's contract, if the sequel to the book ever got made into a film, he had to be offered the role first. So Frank Sinatra got offered the role of John McClane. In 1998? In 1988. Yeah, 88. Also, the character's name is Joe Leland in the book. Not John McClane. Well, second movie, also based on a book called 58 Minutes, where the main character is named Frank Malone. They just bought the book, turned it into Die Hard 2. Third movie was a script called Simon Says that was originally supposed to be a Brandon Lee movie. Then was repurposed and was going to be a Lethal Weapon sequel. Thus the buddy element of it. Fourth movie was called WW3.com. That's terrible. And they bought the script to that and just went, this will be the next Die Hard movie. Is that the Live Free or Die Hard, or is that the fifth one? Live Free or Die Hard, yeah. Live Free or Die Hard. What's the So John McClane... A good day to Die Hard is the fifth one. The character John McClane was only written into something originally for, for the, the fifth. fifth movie. Wow. That's very interesting. The other the other like apparently like the book for that became Die Hard also took over took place over 3 days. Yes, and it's his daughter's Christmas party. Huh. So I mean <laughs> yeah. Hollywood magic for you people. He, 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 he me, was he was a retired a, cop too. Give me a book or a script concept and we'll just totally redo everything yeah. to come up with something. I'll tell you this, you know, watch this movie clocks in about 2 hours and 10 minutes. And you know, it feels like real time. I mean, other than you know the, it's him, clearly him, not though. It, it's clearly not, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's stretched out much long. Like like the course of that evening doesn't feel like it's more than four or five hours. I think because you, you know, are, I think because the way that they they pace it. And as you're following John throughout this whole journey, it almost kind of feels like, oh yeah, he climbed up, you know, all these, all you know, all these floors, and that happened in a realistic amount of time when actually it probably took him a lot longer. Yeah. But 
Or, or maybe he spent, you know, a lot more time in the bathroom picking glass out of his feet than you actually think he did. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that the pacing of this movie is excellent. I mean, you okay. never feel like it's dragging or why is this taking so long or this doesn't... Never. You know, it feels like it's... And I think... And maybe it's also because you're not just watching John again basically alone i mean he's radioing with pal and talking to himself and talking to himself but for the most part he's kind of fighting by himself you know or escaping something alone but because they're cutting so nicely back and forth between the terrace and the party scene or the the ground floor when you know cops or the guard or whoever are trying to get in through the front door and then john like it's just Everything is paced really well. Well, well Such regard- a good action movie. Well, in regards to that, um, John McTiernan, who directed this, he had a wonderful string of, mo- of, of movies from 87 to 90. He first, first he did the great movie Predator. Oh, which nice. Is, which is so good. Original, same, same screenwriter, too. The, the original mm. Predator is an amazing movie. Oh, yeah. Then he did Die Hard. Yes. And then he did... The Hunt for Red October, oh, which wow. I think I really enjoy. It's got more of a political uh, like tilt than an action tilt, because a lot of it is just taking place in a submarine. But when I was looking up the director and I saw he had done those three movies in a row, in I was a like, row? Okay, wow, this he's, is pretty good. He's got one other before he went to complete shit. I love a Last Action Hero. I have never seen like that Action Hero. Is that Schwar- Schwarzenegger? Never seen it. It's... I think more people have listened to the soundtrack than they've actually seen that movie. Possibly, but that <laughs> movie is good. And it's, it's like, along with Twins, it's one of the times where Schwarzenegger tried comedy and it actually worked. Hmm. Uh, Wait, you think it worked in Twins? Hell yeah. <laughs> Him and Danny DeVito as Twins? <laughs> Come on. Danny DeVito is just the, like, afterbirth of Arnold. <laughs> that movie is... Oh, uh, come oh, on. <laughs> oh, no. 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 That might be the only time Twins is ever mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your anyway, favorite? Anyway, Last Action Hero. Yeah. Last Action Hero is great. I'll have to... I, I will give Last Action Hero a, a try. It's worth a watch. I'll, I'll definitely yeah. give it a try. Who was your favorite character, Drew? It's John. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's so great. Yeah. You 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 want to root for him. I mean, he's he's so earnest in what he's doing and he's he's flawed. He's yeah, so he's flawed, flawed too because he's just like you said, he's doubting himself so much. Yeah. But he has to just in he's almost like MacGyver in a way in this movie because he's constantly having to like figure out like what what do I have on me? What's right near me? What can I use? Cuz I mean, the man's barefoot, and he stumbles upon a couple of guns, so that was, you know, some good luck there, but... Mm. I think that I think the other thing that always impressed me about um, Bruce Willis as an action star and this movie is, like, up until this movie, a lot of action stars that you saw that were really popular were... Couldn't Arnold, act. Well, they were Arnold Schwarzenegger and... Stallone. And Stallone. Who and probably Jean Kovac Dam was already acting too, right? Yeah, and Steven Seagal, Dol- yeah. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. These are all guys who are like 
have a physique that yeah. is like this like super like almost action figure kind of yeah. physique. Yeah, Bruce Whereas, Willis is like five eight maybe. Yeah, Bruce Willis just looked like a normal person. Well, nice he, arms. Bruce, ripped arms. Like he, he he was in great shape in this movie. He was movie. in good shape for the for this movie, but you know, he doesn't have he doesn't have that 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 same kind of he doesn't fall into that same category. Yeah, he was a risk. Casting him was risky. If you if you had watched the last episode of Moonlighting, he really that kicks aired in the ass. before Die Hard. He looks exactly the same. And in Moonlighting, it's not like here's this ass kicker. No, like that was one hundred percent not his character on Moonlighting. Had he already done a dry run wearing the tank tops? He probably walked around moonlighting with his shirt <laughs> off at some point, trying to impress Sybil Shepherd. I don't know. <laughs> I heard, I saw, I read somewhere that like for Die Hard, they had like fifty different like uh, tank tops and like in all these different degrees of, of dirtiness. Because yeah. like it starts off nice and pristine and white, and by the end of this movie, well. At some point, he loses it, but no. Uh, at some point, he wraps his bloody foot. Yeah, in it. No, that's right. That's right. What he needed was a nice poncho towards the beginning of the movie, like Jack Burton had, so his tank top wouldn't get as dirty. True. He also <laughs> needed a pair of shoes. Okay, now this is something I want to ask. So he takes the pair of shoes off the He-Man looking guy that he kills right away with the Carl's brother. Carl's brother was a very funny looking glasses, mm-hmm. but um, take tries his shoes on. But then he ends up killing a few other terrorists later and doesn't bother checking out to see if their shoes will fit him. I have, that is definitely kind of a flaw. I mean, it kind of caught, crossed my mind. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, he bothered he just, the he first threw, time. Yeah, he just threw this guy out the window. He didn't think to take his shoes off I mean, first. he could have, <laughs> two pairs of shoes he could have tried. There's two flaws in this movie that always stick out to me. That's one of them that he doesn't keep checking. The other one is when he first shows up to the building and, you know, the security guard is like oh just type in the name mm-hmm. there blah 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 and he types in McLean and it's not there and so then he tries the maiden name and then the security guard goes 30th floor they're the only people in the building right now it's like why like, did you even look up the name exactly <laughs> no matter who I'm here to see they're on the 30th floor <laughs> Maybe he won't, yeah. It's the old, because the thing I love about this movie is they do so many great, minute things to set up things later. Like Takagi saying, oh yeah, if we ever get this building finished, we're still doing construction. Like, that's the first thing he says. When yeah. He says, oh, your place is nice. But like, John gets in the limo, he lights a cigarette. Thus, later on, when he pulls out the Zippo in the air ducts, you know why he has it. He's a smoker. Like, there's just a bunch of things, or on the plane, oh, I'm stressed out. Have you ever tried this? Thus, yeah. he's barefoot later. Like, Or the watch. The watch. There's all these things. That one is the one where I'm like, couldn't you have found a better way to say that she's using her maid? Like, even just when he got upstairs and saw the placard on the door, yeah. he could have known that she's using the maiden name. Um, except except her make it has to be a big deal because she's able to stay disguised 
as Miss Gennaro while the terror before the terrorists well, reveal he, understand that he could see it on her the, door and be like, "What's up with your name on the door? Why yeah. doesn't it say McLean?" Yeah. Well, two things. One, it could. It brings up two questions. One, first, maybe he had to like give the name of somebody so he could get upstairs. Like he yeah, could just prove just look, he knew yeah. somebody. So like, yeah. so like, so he's looking for McLean and she's not there. So then he has to look. He looks up the other name and yeah. So then, so the security guard knows he's not some. Psychopath. Although when he types in McLean, nine names come up, and he could have been like, yeah. She's Jimmy Jimmy McNulty. <laughs> Jimmy McNulty. The, the he's other, in Baltimore. He's not in. He's not at Nakatomi Plaza. The other thing that I was going to say is maybe <laughs> Drunk off his all ass. those very detailed things that came up with were in the book, but they didn't put that in the book. In the uh, movie, they left maybe. it. They, they left it out of the movie. Right. You mean? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Maybe. Like, the whole thing, like, with the watch, the lighter, all these things that they set up were in the book. And they were taking those things from the book, and it wasn't just the, it wasn't the screenplay or anything. Like, they were smart and came up with that. Maybe it was, they were coming, coming up with all that from the book, but when they decided to put it in this giant tower, and the guy gives the line, oh, they're the only people here, none of that was in the book, so they weren't smart enough to to answer your, to figure that well, def- out. Definitely in a book in 1979, there wouldn't be a computer you were typing. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe the whole Die Hard series is a farce. It's just a creative way to, to ch- take other people's work to create some other thing. Maybe. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. I was actually, and then you just brought up another thing. Um, that whole scene where um, uh, he's on the plane and the guy he's talking mm-hmm. to on the plane is like trying to give him tips on how to deal with flight anxiety and stuff. And he's like, I travel all the time. And he tells him how to how to take your shoes off and put your feet flat on the carpet and make fists with your mm-hmm. toes. Yeah. Have you guys ever done that? Of course. No. It feels great. Yeah, I've done it while watching Die Hard. I've done it when I haven't watched Die Hard. And I'm like, no, no, you have to be sitting down. You have to be sitting down? Yeah. Okay. Should I, should I like, Facebook Live this right now? No. <laughs> I've, been, I've never done it. Like, like try and relax, but then just put your feet flat on your foot, and then just try and, like, let the carpet feel, th- like, go through It feels good in my feet. shoes right now. <laughs> it feels pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that would relax you, right? Yeah. I think, I think they nailed it on that. Again. Something. It is a great tip. Great yeah. travel tip. I so, hate flying, yet somehow I've never done it after flying. And also, by the way, I hate flying because of Die Hard 2. <laughs> Maybe I need to cure what Die Hard 2 did for me with flying by doing what Die Hard 1 suggests. There you go. See? Um, I never answered my own question. Uh, Die Hard, the original Die Hard is my favorite, then 3. Um, kind of, I go back and forth between 2 and 4. And five way below that yeah five i only watched once i only needed to watch it once i was almost dis- i was disappointed mm. two is the evil dead two of the Die Hard series they basically just remade the first movie mm. 
Yeah. Just, it's, it's at an airport. Cool. It's winter time. You have... It's Christmas again. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, but you don't, do you watch that at Christmas? You don't watch Die Hard 2 at Christmas? No, because Die Hard 2... I only have time for two movies, so I watch... So you don't watch any other Christmas movies? I watch Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, which is also a Christmas movie. <laughs> because it ends with Martin Riggs being invited in for Christmas dinner at the Murtaugh house. Does it start with Thanksgiving? No, it starts just a few days before Got Christmas, because okay. Riggs is at the Christmas tree lot. That's it, okay. <laughs> uh, same composer in both movies, and in Lethal Weapon, he also uses sleigh bells a lot. Yes, um, <laughs> sleigh bells. Maybe it's not even the composer, maybe it's just the sound guy. He's just ringing bells. Bom, bom. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, uh, that is it's just basically the same movie, Die Hard 2. The funny thing about the whole Die Hard series is that it spawned all these movies that were like Die Hard on a bus, Die Hard on a boat. Like, you know. Speed. Die Hard 1 and 2 are the only Die Hard movies that follow the Die Hard formula. He's never trapped anywhere in 3, 4, or 5. In 3, he's trapped because, like, like the city itself is trapped because Simon is holding the city hostage. At any point, he could leave where he's at. And, and no one would try to kill him. Except but people would die. <clears throat> except that's true. You know, and that and that's something that <clears throat> that Hans doesn't. Other than Ellis, Hans doesn't actually kill any other terror, any of the hostages in Die Hard. But he threatens it by saying, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to start shooting people every half yeah. hour until you give me my detonators, and maybe I'm going to stumble across someone you actually care about." You know, the whole movie of Die Hard 3 is a hostage situation and John and Samuel Jackson's character are being told if you don't solve all these riddles correctly and do everything correctly I may blow up some schools and you know the whole city of New York is on is held hostage so yeah. while he's not he well he's not actually trapped in like a building or on a plane or something he's trapped in that game that yeah. Simon set up for him. Oh, but, oh, yeah. oh, oh, John McTiernan did have one other great movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, he did do the third he one. He came That's back right. for that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, and, you know, you always get, it, it always gets bigger and bigger and bigger with these, so, like, Die Hard, it's in a building. Die Hard 2, it's in an airport, so you've got, like, planes in the air and everything like that. Then it's a city, then it's, like, the whole east coast of the United mm-hmm. States, and then it's in Russia trying to give this whole idea like the world is now you know under. really that's what the fifth one's about Dude, yeah so they bad. go to chernobyl in it yeah it's it's trash yeah no thanks yeah so what were your favorite scenes well i like the scene where um i actually really like the scene with takagi and and uh hans gruber yeah. and like the uh in the room in the room where You've got John kind of just outside of the room, like, watching it all happen, and then they end up, mm-hmm. you know, confronting Takagi, and he's just like, I don't have it, sorry, I don't know what you're going to do, and then they're like, okay, and that's it for Takagi. I mean, that scene is pretty intense, and you really get an idea of just, like, how ruthless Hans is, mm-hmm. 
how how much John wants to help but feels helpless and is trying to do the best he can. Yeah. Because, like he says, like he'd be dead too if he acted. So he's being ver- he's trying to do what he can to save, if not just Holly, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also get like kind of the humor aspect of it, where like, um, the the computer programmer hacker guy who's trying to break into the vault and Carl, you know, the mercenary guy, have a bet like, is he gonna do it or not? And then they trade money because mm. you know one of them wins the bet. So you get like, it, it's an interesting scene that gives you a whole idea of like where all these people are coming from. Mm. So I enjoy that scene. There's a couple I love when. Uh, Robinson gets on the radio and he's like he's like hey I'm in charge here blah 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 and John's like well from up here it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's like he he says something else and calls John an asshole and he's like put the other guy on the phone no he's like I'm an asshole I'm not the one who just got butt fucked on national <laughs> TV yeah. and he's like you either start being part of the solution yeah. or he's like, you either stop being part of the problem or start being part of the solution, you fucking asshole, or something like that. And I love I love that scene. And then, yeah, he's like, put the other guy back on. Isn't that where he says to to Powell, I'm feeling pretty fucking unappreciated here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then the other, the other scene that just has always made me laugh because it's so just weird is when... He quote unquote kills Carl, which of course he comes back at the end. But uh, he like wraps the chain around his neck. He's like, first I'm gonna kill you, then I'm gonna fucking cook you, and then I'm gonna fucking eat you. <laughs> and I was always like, why in this moment is John suddenly threatening cannibalism on someone? Hey, you know what? He had a really rough night. He, did, he was yeah. pushed to yeah. this threat of cannibalism. It's, it's, he was so, I mean, because this is what, like 15 minutes before the end of the movie or something? I mean, this is... He had gone through some serious shit. Yeah. yeah. Had, the, had the roof been blown up yet? Uh, no, because they were trying to get the hostages off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. So those two scenes are your favorite scenes? Right now, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you you clearly like this movie to to keep it to have yeah. it be a holiday tradition for you. Yes. Um, I mean, I love the scene when he gets. I love when he gets picked up by Argyle. Argyle doesn't know what to do because it's his first time driving a limo, and John's like, "It's my first time riding in one." Smash cut to John is sitting in the in front, front seat. seat. Yes, Argyle <laughs> slyly offers to pick up some mama bears for his stuffed animal bear, unless it's married. Like, there's this right from the start. There's just this like, there's a comedic edge to this movie that action films didn't. Ha- action films thought they tried they had to that. Like, Stallone always thought he was funny in his action films, but he never was. But, yeah, it's, yeah, there's tons of scenes that are great. Well, uh, you know, do you have any other thoughts on that the, you have n- noted that you would like to bring up? The only other thing I would like to bring up is I have a list of actors who passed 
on the role of John McClane. Oh, please. Really? This would be interesting. Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> to re-team with his Predator director from the year before. Huh. Richard Gere oh, was oh, offered yeah. it. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood gets offered a lot of movies that he doesn't... Well, and here's the thing. Because the novel took place 13 years after the movie that had previously been made, the character is a retired cop in the novel. Mm. So that's where you get Eastwood. That's where you get Burt Reynolds Uh being offered the role. (laughs) What? (laughs) Sylvester Stallone passed on it. Harrison Ford passed on it. Mm. Don Johnson passed on it because there's no pastels. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Nolte passed on it. Mel Gibson, which would have been weird if Mel Gibson was Riggs and John McClane. And funny you brought up MacGyver earlier because MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson Anderson got offered it. All these guys got offered it before Bruce Willis? Before Bruce Willis. Or it might have been during the time when Bruce Willis couldn't do it. because he was was available. Yeah. The Back to the Future situation. Yeah. But yeah, all of those people. Also, I would like to bring up the dream movie that I wish had happened. Which is, at the end of Die Hard 3... John McClane calls Holly. Yes. What if John McClane moved back to L.A., reunited with his wife, started working for the LAPD? Right around that time, Murtaugh, he's finally too old for this shit, and he retires. Riggs needs a new partner. Oh, my God. (laughs) Riggs McClane... That comes after Die Hard 3, Lethal Weapon 3. Instead of Die Hard 4, and, and instead of Lethal Weapon 4, we get a Riggs fucking McLean. And by that point, Riggs, he settled down with Rene Russo's character. McLean is the unhinged. McLean's the Lethal Weapon. That would be interesting. <laughs> were they put out? Were they made by the same company? Like, do they? Have- Joel Silver produced both of them. That's why Michael Kamen is the composer for both of them. <laughs> that would be. That's why Die Hard Three was able to go from being a Lethal Weapon script to being a Die Hard script because Joel Silver owned it. Oh. Mm. Well, Interesting. Unfortunately, it never happened. It never happened, and it never will, because one of the actors I was just talking about is a fucking asshole, <laughs> and will never be able to star in a major motion picture ever again. No, or whatever. So now that we're kind of coming to a conclusion, unless Nancy, you got anything else? <laughs> no. To add, no. Um, Drew, you you proposed us watching these movies for, yes. when you came on as a guest. <clears throat> And um, besides your your obvious passion for both these movies, was there any other reason why you have picked these movies? Like when you watching them growing up or anything? Die Hard was the first action movie that I saw. That previous to that, even if I enjoyed an action movie I was watching, 
with the exception of Predator and like Terminator, by and large, I knew I was watching something stupid. Like if I was watching a Van Damme movie, I was like, I know this is dumb, but I want to see him roundhouse kick someone. Right. Die Hard was the first action movie I saw where I was like, this isn't dumb. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. th- this actually is a movie, like that's well made. With Big Trouble in Little China, I feel like without seeing that movie at a young age, like it's it's the first movie I ever saw that wasn't a normal movie, where like it would bounce between genres. You could not predict anything that was going to happen next. (laughs) And just wild shit would happen. And not only do I feel like it prepared me for, like, the works of Terry Gilliam or David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Where, like, I could then later watch movies by them and not be like, what the hell is going on right now? I feel like being able to love The State and Mr. Show... Like, just comedy that just doesn't conform to... The norm. Yeah, just standard, like, oh, here's the setup, here's the punchline. I feel like it helped me get into Monty Python. Oh, wow. Like, Big Trouble in Little China is just... It opened the doors for It opened the door to where, when I saw something weird, I wasn't like, well, this isn't how things are supposed to be made. Like, yeah. Had you ever seen Time Bandits? <clears throat> that was probably one of the weirdest movies we'd seen. No, I hadn't seen. China. No, I didn't. I didn't come to Terry Gilliam till later. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, and also just it was the first John Carpenter movie I ever saw, and so then delving into his catalog, it was just like. Which was weird to then, like, watch other movies by him that are, like, very much, this is the genre it is. Yeah, no, <laughs> to like, like, like Halloween, you know, yeah. does not, you know, it, it, it is, it, you know, for the, it is clearly a horror suspense movie. Yeah, it, all the way through. Th- there's not a lot of comedy in that movie yeah. at all. I also feel like Big Trouble in Little China, like... A film like From Dusk Till Dawn wouldn't exist without Big Trouble in Little China. Probably, because, well, and I think one of the things that's interesting about Big Trouble in Little China is that it, part of the reason why it jumps back and forth from genre is because Carpenter making it was not afraid to take from multiple genres. Yeah. He had, you know, so many martial arts <laughs> movies to look at. Um, fantasy was. You know, they had been doing fantasy movies to, to some degree, but, you know, not like they do now with a million degrees of CGI yeah. and everything. And it just kind of, maybe he just kind of wanted to make something that, you know, he could really just kind of go balls out on. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways he does. You yeah. know, it's not just, oh, I have to make a horror movie, I have to make a monster movie. I'm just going to go out and just make whatever the hell I want. And that's part of the reason probably why he just wasn't going to be... He just was like, I'm going to be independent for now, so I yeah. can just do whatever the hell I want. Well, he he, he kind of made a Grindhouse movie. Yeah. Is what he basically made. Yeah. I mean, it could it, the, the, it could be, you know, you know, one of those... 
the same movies that you know Robert Rodriguez was was influenced by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right on. Well, uh, Drew, I want to thank you very much for coming on. And, yes, and, thank you for and, being our and, guest. And, and like we had said, you know, Nancy and I really love these movies too. So I was really glad that we got to revisit them, revisit them, and have you on to talk about them. And um, this was a lot of fun. Very much so. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas in August <laughs> is. How, how So what holiday would you watch Big Trouble in Little China at? None. Chinese New Year. <laughs> that would make sense. My que- I have a question for either one of you. Hmm. Is there a link to the Cusacks with either one of these movies? Um, let me see. Hold on, let's think. This is this a trick question? Like, do you have one in mind? No. <laughs> Are we talking like six degrees of separation kind of thing? or No, just what would be your end to try to get the opinion of John or Joan? Well, well Gross, How Point, about... Gross Point Blank has similar... Is kind of a similar movie to Die Hard. You could, or, you yeah. could ask them... So Hans and Simon... Are brothers. You said they're brothers. Yes. If, heaven forbid, John or Joan was thrown out of a high-rise window (laughs) by a police officer, what would the other one do to exact revenge on said police officer? I like it. That's an excellent in. What do you think? I was just going to say we could ask them whether they thought Die Hard was Was a Christmas Christmas movie. We could do that too. <laughs> I would say John would go, fuck yeah, it is. And Joan would be like, let me think about that for a while and get back to She'd you. She'd maybe need to be convinced. She seems more thoughtful than John, <laughs> just judging by like career choices. <laughs> Again, I'm the guest. I won't be here if you're on the episode, John or Joan. You won't ever have to meet me. <laughs> Well, I think with that, we're going to wrap it up tonight. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Drew, again, for being our guest. I'm Matthew. I'm Nancy. And this is Fighting Over the VCR. Bye.